Well, good morning, church. How y'all doing? For those of y'all who don't know me, I am Barry. I am the youth pastor till tomorrow. So, um, <laughs> hey, that was rude. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Yeah, so I am Barry. I am the youth pastor. Uh, I will be, this is my last thing officially that I am doing at the church is preaching these next two services. Hopefully, we're, we're depending on how this one goes, what I was told. Um, so we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, verses 1 through 9. Um, while you're turning there, uh, I've titled this sermon, Sustained by God. And, and what I really, what I'm really hoping you get out of this is finding your identity in the sustaining grace of God. It's finding your identity in the sustaining grace of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians, especially this, this greeting that Paul writes here, it, it holds a close personal uh, relationship with me. I, I love this letter, and actually I love the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was, was the place Paul went on his second missionary journey. He had just left, left Athens. He was tired. He was exhausted. He had been beat up, and, and, and he was just, just wore out, right? And, and he gets to Athens. I mean, I'm sorry. He gets to, uh, to Corinth. It's about 50 miles from Athens. And even God has to sustain him there. God writes to Paul that, hey, don't, don't give up. I've got a lot of people in the city that, that belong to me. Just hold fast. I will sustain you. And, and, and honestly, that, that was this church when I, when I first got here five and a half years ago. I had been in ministry for around about ten and a half years. Uh, I was pastor, youth pastor. I was part of a planning team I had, I had, uh, that planted a church. I had pastored it for about ten years. And we were... And I was bivocational at the time, and I was tired. Like, I, um, I had owned a sugarcane farm because I thought it was a really good idea. If I owned my own business, I could have more time for the church. <laughs> where were y'all? Where were y'all? Like, when I owned the church, when I owned the farm, like, yeah, that would have been, been a great thing, right? But no, so, like, I, I remember that, that I, I, uh, I got really sick and tired. I, I, I blew out my adrenal gland, and I slept for, like, 36 hours like doctor visits, hospital, and everything else. And, and I, was, I was done, right? Like, I remember sitting on a tractor and, and talking to God and, and praying and thinking about quitting ministry. Honestly, I, I was done with ministry. I just, just couldn't do it anymore. And I've never heard God audible. Don't, don't ever say, I, I don't want you to hear me say this. I've never heard God speak to me. But on that tractor, in that moment, there was something inside of me that said, I've called you to preach, not be a farmer. So I sold my farm. For some crazy reason, Brother David hired me as a youth pastor. And I came here. And this church has been my refuge. This church has been a place where I've healed up, where I fell back in love, not only with ministry, but back with the church. And you guys in particular. And this is Paul, right? Paul spent 18 months... And yeah, that's not a long time, but for Paul, that, that's, a, that's an extended period of time for him to be somewhere, right? He spent 18 months in the city of Corinth planning that church, growing that church, loving that church. And I can just feel him. I, 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 I can relate with him when, when we're talking, when, when he's writing this letter. And Paul does what Paul does, right? Uh, he goes to the Gentiles first. You, you can read about the planning of the Corinthian church in Acts chapter 
uh, 18. So we'll get there in a minute. But Paul does what Paul does, right? He goes to the Gentiles first, and, and he, I mean, sorry, he goes to the synagogue first, preaches there, and then whenever the, when the Jews get tired of him and they kick him out, he went right next door, sat down, and started preaching, right? So, but, but let me give you a little bit of background on Corinth before we get too far on this, and then we'll get started. Corinth, Corinth is a port city. It's on an isthmus. And an isthmus is basically a piece of land that connects two bigger pieces of land, uh, uh, connects two bigger pieces of land and keeps it. So without this isthmus, Greece would be an island, right? And it's about four, it's a little less than four miles wide. And in, uh, and in, 50, um, in 50 AD, uh, Rome decided that this piece of land, they had destroyed the city before in, in war and conquered it and left it. Rome decided how important this little piece of land was. So they made it a colony in 40 BC. I'm sorry, I said AD. In, uh, in 50 BC, th they made it a colony. And what a Roman colony was, was they would send retired soldiers and Roman citizens to, to uh, occupy this land and make it a Roman city-state. And it was so important to them because of the trade route, right? You would get there, and it, it was the central location. It connected uh, Asia Minor and Greece. And you would get all the trade from Rome coming in, and you would get the trade from Egypt, Israel, and the rest of the known world. And they would come to this one point. Because in this four-mile little stretch of land, it was safer and easier to either unload your cargo on one side track it across the land, have a ship waiting for you, load it and bring it to the next point. Or if your ship was small enough, they actually made a road with some sleds and you would pull your ship on it and they would just pull your whole ship across. It was an extra 200 miles to go around the Cape. And the Greek uh, historians would tell people that if you made it one time, grace upon you, if you try it a second time, have your will ready. That's how dangerous it was to take this extra 200-mile journey. The winds around the Cape, the currents and everything else would destroy boats. So, so Rome decided that Corinth would be this central hub of trade, and it was. And Corinth, being the third largest city in Rome, the empire, by the time Paul gets there in around 40 AD, you have about 90 years that this city has gone from zero to on average about 400,000 people in a four-mile stretch with a port on each end of the city. So it's a hustling city. It's very much a busy melting pot. You have all these people coming in, coming and sitting inside Corinth. And Corinth was a place like no other city in Rome. It was a place where you could go and your class did not matter. Didn't matter how you were born or where you were born. You could make a fortune there and you could make a name for yourself and you could become rich. Slaves would go there, they would free themselves, and they would sit in the city and they would become free citizens of Rome and they would make names for themselves. So everybody wanted to go to, go to Corinth. The only thing about Corinth is, as this melting pot, and as everybody came in, nobody really cared what you did, right? It was a city that had an Acropagus, this giant 
mountain that's about 1,300 feet high that would defend the city. And on the top of that hill was the temple to the goddess Diane. And Diane was the patron saint of beauty and love. And at night, about 1,000 temple prostitutes would come down and apply their trade in the city. This is the kind of city that Paul's walking into. Okay? He's walking into the city full of debauchery, full of sinfulness, and Paul comes here. It's one of the largest cities Paul will ever journey to and plant a church. And he gets there. And the other thing that Corinth was known for was the Ithium Games, second only to the Olympics, which are happening right now. And in Corinth, you, you would come there, and they would have all these games, and it was the same as the Olympics. One of the games that they would actually do, and I would fail at this game miserably, was music. Music was a Ithium sport. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and I sound like I got captured by a kite when I try to sing. I would have failed miserably, but it was one of their sports. So people would come, and this city would grow from a city of 400,000 to on average of 700,000 during the games. So it was hustling and bustling, and Paul, being a tent maker, Paul, being a tent maker, applied his trade there. He would build tents during the day, and in the heat of the day, he would go and he would preach. He met up with some other Jews from Rome that, that had got kicked out, and, and they were sitting there, and they were, they, they were tent makers as well, and they, they got together, and they, they formed a little business. One of the things I forgot to say is uh, Nero, knowing how important this city was, in 66 uh, A.D., decided he was going to make a channel through Corinth. So that way you wouldn't have to pull the ships across, and they would just dig a channel out, and then he would, uh, you could get through. The channel is still there today. It was actually finished in 1893. So if you think university's taking a while, just, <laughs> y'all ain't got nothing, right? No, what happened was uh, Nero sent about 6,000 slaves in to start building this canal, and as they were building it, he was, he was uh, assassinated, and then the project stopped. It was started a couple more times by a couple different people and then finally finished in 1893. So now they have this channel that you can actually go to today. Corinth is still an existing city, not quite in the same place, a little bit over, but they also have the canal. It's still to this day a major port city for the world. So when Paul gets there, this is what he's dealing with, all of this stuff. And he gets there, and like I said, he gets to the, to the synagogue, he starts to preach, they kick him out and he goes next door. When, when he gets next door, the leader of the synagogue comes to faith and leaves the synagogue. Well, this upsets the Jewish synagogue. And what happens is they get this guy named Sosthenes. And, and Sosthenes comes in and they decide they're going to lay charges against Paul for preaching a false gospel. And, and as they go to the proconsul and, and they're, they're, they're trying to plead their case, and Paul's sitting there, as soon as they start talking, and it's a religious decision, it's a religious case, and Corinth being Corinth, which they don't really care what you do as long as you make money and pay taxes, they kick out the Jews. Well, the Jews get really mad, and they beat Sosthenes on the steps of the courthouse. And the proconsul watches, laughs, and walks away, which is kind of funny to me. So, um, and as Paul is sitting there, 
watching Sosthenes, this, this Jewish leader, get beat. And after they finish, they leave him on the steps. You can read this in, in Acts chapter 18. Paul walks up and cares for him. Wounds, uh, bandages wounds, cares for him, uh, loves on him, bees the hands and feet of Christ to him. And then all of a sudden, in a very short period of time, he becomes a follower of Christ as well. So now you have two main Jewish leaders of the Jewish synagogue switching over to being Christ followers, which has to have shaken that Jew. I mean, think about it, guys. The Jewish community watched two of their senior leaders change religions. That had to stumble them. They, they had to start having questions, right? So Paul spends 18 months there. He goes away, and this is when he writes this letter as he's hearing about divisions in the church. So let's read verses 1 through 9, and we'll get back into it. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. See? He's, Sosthenes is with him. Uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gifts. So you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, right? So, so Paul, Paul starts off this letter with, with his normal greeting, right? He, he goes, and if you notice something here, he uses the word called a lot. He uses the word called a lot. So catch this. Verse 1 starts off, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes. I, I really want you, you, you to grab this. Sosthenes, this Jewish leader coming to faith because Paul saw this loved him and cared for him. And Sosthenes, through, 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 that, through, that of Paul, through that act of Paul, was open to accepting the gospel. And, and I, I want you to get this. Like Sosthenes, the Lord is up to something in your life. The Lord is up to something in your life. He doesn't, so many times, we miss the step that God is calling us to. As he's sitting there, and as they're sitting in Ephesus, and as Paul is pinning this letter to, to the church in Corinth, there's no explanation on who Sosthenes is, so he's well known to the church, so, so that's how we know who it is. And he goes on, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, 
called to be saints with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Right here, Paul uses this word to be uh, to the church, right? And it's this word called ekklesia in the Greek, and it's the, it means the called out ones, right? It, it, it literally means the called out ones of God. And that's what he's calling the church, right? He, he's looking at them, and he's like, the called out ones of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. And, and understand something? My background, South Louisiana, born and raised Catholic. When I hear that word, saints, I get a little twitch. Just a little one, right? Because to me, growing up in, in catechism and in church, a saint was somebody who, who was dead and who did miracles after they were dead that were attributed to them, and then they would elect them as saints. So, so when I read this, this word here, a call to the saints, I'm like, Paul, you, you serious? Like, like these people are saints? Like most of the, Cor the Corinthian church weren't Jews. They were Greeks that came from that culture, that, that, that broke free of that culture and were sitting in the church. And Paul says, just like I was called to be an apostle, just, just like Jesus called me to be an apostle, he's called you to be a saint, to be set apart, to be called by God for a special task. And, and I read that and I look at that and I'm like, are, are you sure, Paul? Like, like, you know who you're talking to, right? Together with all those in every place. So all the churches, the, the global church, in, in all places, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I love this. I, I love this, right? Both their Lord and ours. He looks at the church and he says, you know what? You don't have exclusivity on God. He is not just your God. He is their God too. And I think sometimes, and I think the church, especially in Corinth, but I, but I think it creeps into us that we have a special pass, that, that we have this connection that nobody else does. And Paul makes it very clear that it's their God and our God. That, that, that the church was meant to be a blessing to the world not just to be blessed. Does that make sense? And, and he goes on, and, and he, he's given them all this, this praise and all this accolade. And, he, and he's calling them saints, and he's calling all this. And, and it reminds us of one thing, that the Lord will never reject you. That the Lord will never reject you. And what is your calling? What is your call? Because you are called saints, right? If, you, if you've confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you've put your faith and hope in him, 
Not only is he faithful to sustain you, but he has also called you a saint. And what is your calling? Where is he calling you to? And I'm not saying you have to be some special missionary. I'm not saying you have to run off and and go to foreign countries. But you interact with people every day. Where you work, where you play, where you live, where you shop. What is your calling in those places and in those times? What is your calling to be light in those places? Paul was living his life when Sosthenes got beat up, right? Paul was was living his life. It's funny, I I worked out at Fitness One a lot, and there was a couple times I've had to call here and tell them, hey, I'm going to be late for work today, because I'd go before work, take a shower there, and then just come into work. And I'd have to call in and say, hey, I'm going to be a little late today. Uh, I'm busy. And normally what it was was somebody going through something crying on my shoulder. And it was always a fun time when you're working out. I'm just saying. It was, it was a blast. All uh, right? And it, it was funny because I'd be sitting there, and I never ha- hid the fact that what I did. Like, I never hid the fact that I was a pastor. I never hid the fact that, that uh, I, was, I was the youth pastor right across the street. And it was funny how God just used that openness and just going through my life, right? It, it was really funny was uh, the first time we went up to Indianapolis, me and, me and my wife, we were flying. We flew from, uh, from El Paso to O'Hare, O'Hare to Indianapolis. And that last leg is about an hour and a half, two-hour flight. And we were sitting there, and there was this, this elderly lady sitting like a row up or two up sitting there, and she had this young college student with her that, that was about to graduate uh, law school. She had, I know this because I was hearing their conversation, and I can't hear very well. Uh, so they were talking pretty loud. Uh, she was about to graduate college and doing all those things, and, and, the late, and, and she was coming visit her parents. She was from there. She was coming back from school or whatever, and the lady just started sharing the gospel with her. Just, just sitting there, just talking to her about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and sharing the gospel with her. And it was funny because I couldn't interact. Like, I didn't want to interrupt her. So all I remember doing was sitting down and just praying for the lady and praying for this college student to be open, right? And, and that whole ride, that little girl, I'm going to be honest with you, you could tell she was uncomfortable. But she couldn't go anywhere because you can't get up in a plane and the plane was full. She couldn't switch seats. It was hilarious. And I was praying for the lady. And by the end of that plane ride, they were friends. It, it was an awesome thing that the, this elderly lady, she even, the, the college student even walked her down the baggage claim, helped her get her bag off of the luggage rack, and walked with her out the door. And I was like, that, that had to be one of the coolest things I had seen in a long time. And all I could do as a bystander is just keep praying for them and their relationship. And this is what I mean, guys, that that God is is with you and the call upon your life, and he's just not our God, but he's their God too. And we are called to interact with a lost and dying world. He says grace to you in verse 3. He says grace to you in peace from, from, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this one, is, this is the one that gets me, verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ. 
that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. That even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And you want to look at Paul and be like, Paul, I think you're writing this to the wrong church. Like, like you know you're writing this to the Corinthian church, right? Like, like you're not writing this to Ephesus. You're not writing this to Galatians. Like, like that over there, right? They are jacked. Like, th- th- there is nothing about them that would be redeeming. Like, you realize in a couple, in a, in a, like a couple chapters, you, you're fussing at them for suing each other. You're fussing at them for getting drunk at communion. Right? I mean, I mean you, you get, you're fussing at them because the rich people are coming in and eating all the food, and the people that work for them are coming in, and there's nothing left to eat. And, and people are passed out drunk, and they're like, it's It's bad. Right? And even the outside world is looking at him going, that's messed up. But with Paul, you know, hey, I give thanks to my God always for you. But did you catch why? Because the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ, and that in every way you were enriched in him, through speech and all knowledge, even the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. you got to understand something. God is faithful to sustain you in Jesus Christ. It's not my strength. It's not your strength. It's not the church's strength. It's God is faithful to sustain you in Jesus Christ. Paul isn't praising the Corinthian church for their strength and their faithfulness. He's praising them because of God's faithfulness. You understand what Paul has done here, right? Paul planted this church. He has every right to call them his people. He says, you're God's church. And he has turned God's church back over to God. And it's through God's faith that we are sustained. He goes on, and he says, so that you are not lacking in any gifts, verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, to the end, guiltless, in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. You know why? Because God did not redeem you just to leave you. Let me make sure you caught that. God did not redeem you just to leave you the way you were. He didn't leave you in your sin. And look, I'm not saying that we don't struggle, that we don't fall back, that we don't, we don't take steps in the wrong direction, and we don't give in to the weaknesses of our flesh. But he did not redeem you to leave you there. The brokenness of our heart, the, the, the conviction of our sin draws us back into right relationship with God. in that fellowship with the believers. I'm going to close on this verse. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Right here. 
It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abundant, always abounding, I'm sorry, in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not vain. Guys, if he's called you to a work, he will see it through to completion because he is faithful to you. I don't know what he's called you to today. And as the last thing that I'm going to say at this church, I don't know if he's calling you to be a Christ father. I don't know if he's calling you to become a saint today. I don't know if he's put it on your heart for somebody that you live, work, or play in community with. But whatever it is, do business with God. I don't know if he's calling you to join this, this ecclesia, this, this called out body of believers that we can go into Las Cruces and make a difference. But whatever it is, deal with God. There'll be pastors up the front to pray with you. If you want to accept Christ, we'll be up here. If you want to join the church, we'll be up here. But don't leave here today without knowing that you had some time with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship you, and to fellowship. Father, I pray. I pray for First Baptist Las Cruces. I pray that they would continue to be a light in a community who desperately needs them. Father, I pray for for all of us here, for those of us who need to come to know you and take that step and put our faith and assurance that you will see it through, and for those of us to be reminded today that you did not redeem us to forget about us. Father, I pray in your precious son's name.